Yes, we are now recording. Don't say anything incriminating or otherwise rude. (laughs) Welcome to the Tea Grannies. I'm Elise. And I'm Maria. Today we're here to talk about prepping and polishing your manuscript. So pour yourself a cup of tea and let's get started. All right. Welcome back for season three. I still can't believe that we're doing a third season of this. <laughs> this is ridiculous. How did we get this far? It was supposed to be just this like, oh, what a random, whimsical, weird idea that'll probably go nowhere. But here we are. Um, and yeah, so if you're a fresh green listener uh, coming in for the first time, or maybe you kind of found us on a couple of our other episodes and have jumped ahead, welcome here. Maybe you've caught up on all the previous seasons, in we which case you're, guess. yeah, you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Please stay. Um, if, you're the, if you've come this far, pretty confident you, we won't lose you yet. Um, but yeah, we have to kick off the season with a massive thank you to everybody just for tuning in and engaging us with us on like whatever platform you're on. We're on Instagram, Twitter. If you send us emails, I think we mostly get those for submissions and not for chats, <laughs> but we welcome it. those too. Um, or even if you're just lurking on on episodes like a true gem, because that's, that's how I engage with the internet. Um, we love you. The messages and friendships that we've made with people all over the world are probably the best part of doing this. I mean, mm-hmm. we get to see each other a lot and just yeah. talk shit about everybody but <laughs> no we don't do that what are you talking about um but no the uh, the relational aspect of this and how we get to re- talk to everybody and just talk about writing and editing and the things that we love is the best and we couldn't do it without your support and this is getting really cheesy so thank you so much and now i'll stop talking because Maria needs to save me from being sappy let's get this show on the road <laughs> And I will be the not sappy one and uh, just jump into our season three plans. So we focused a bit on craft last season. And in our first season, we covered like a little bit of everything, I would Mm -hmm. say. So this season, we're going to focus a bit more on publishing and preparing for publishing, as well as some options. We're hoping to do some interviews and some other fun stuff like that. So this will be a deep dive into publishing. But first, we have pages to critique. Spring, 1806, just outside of Fort Edmonton. For the third time in the last hour, the wagon lurched to a halt. This time, the telltale snap of the wheel splintering sent men over the sides, quickly assessing the damage. Oh dear, not again. Reverend Smith's hand fell to my thigh, squeezing just above my knee. This was the fourth occurrence of his hand on my leg, and I was desperate to leave his side, but the wagon was crowded, and the weight of my six-year-old son on my lap prevented me from shuffling further down the seat. "'Mrs. Williams, you're the only white woman to come to these parts.' The hand was inching slowly upwards, and I held my breath in disgust. "'Well, save for that French woman over at Fort Augustus.' He lifted his hand to wave dismissively at the thought of her, and I used the opportunity for escape. I stood abruptly, catching the eye of my father seated across from me, who had been asleep for the past several miles. "'Wheels broke,' one of the men reported from the ground. "'Looks like we need to walk the rest of the way. Better leave now if we're to make before nightfall.' "'What about our tools?' I asked, turning back to the reverend. He was the only one who had spoken to me on this leg of the trip. "'We need our tools to work.' The reverend shrugged, following my father down, 
onto the sodden path. I looked back over my shoulder at the pile of blacksmithing tools wrapped in a blanket at the front of the wagon bed. There was no way I could manage them all, and the long journey had already been difficult on my father's health. He would have a hard enough time with the walk to Fort Edmonton without the burden of carrying a heavy load. All right, so uh, my first comment on this submission is that I love the setting. Uh, Lisa and I were talking about how we don't get a lot of novels set in Canada. And so, you know, I'm here for this, especially when it's historical. I think that's super fun, something I love. Um, I get the feeling that our main character, who is not named Mm -hmm. so far, is going to be an independent woman in a time when that was incredibly difficult. Wow, words are hard. Difficult people. (laughs) Difficult is difficult. Um, I would like a little more of her character and a little less of what's happening around them in this first section because I don't Mm -hmm. quite feel like I'm in her head. Um, I do think that the wagon wheel should still break on the first page and I think the reverend being creepy should definitely stay on the first page because it sets a good tone. I just want more of the main character. Like I want to know more about her. Like what's her name? What's her son's name? He's mentioned so briefly. Um, you know, is she widowed? Is she super nervous? Is she, is she like kind of smart but suspicious? Um, yeah, and there's a few tidy up edits, but there really wasn't that much for mm-hmm. me to touch on. Let's have a quick cruise through my notes. I had a little bit of confusion with when the wheel splintered. It sounded like um, the men went off the sides with the momentum, but then on, yeah. when I read it through it the second time, uh, it sounded like they they were jumping out to look at the damage. So I think a little rephrasing there would help with the clarification. Mm -hmm. And let's see. Yeah, there was a little bit of a moment there when her son was on her lap. Um, He kind of just isn't there anymore. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that I didn't really notice it in the first read through. But the second read through, I was like, oh, yeah, maybe we could tidy that up. But otherwise, like, I really enjoyed this. You know, I think it's got a ton of potential. Mm-hmm. I would keep reading. Let's yes. That <laughs> yeah. Two points for that. I am loving this as well. Um, but it was interesting to me. I um, I have almost an opposite reaction from Maria of what I want. So this is a really good example of, you know, this is a subjective business and, yeah. <laughs> and different readers are going to want different things out of the story. So you get to take feedback and just think about it critically and decide what, what fits for you and what doesn't mm-hmm. and take what's helpful, leave the rest. This is what I try to reiterate and just drill into my clients that like, yes, I'm an editor. Yes, I do this professionally. Yes, I should know what I'm talking about. Generally, we should hope. Um, but if at any point you disagree with something and you have an argument to back it up and you think that your way is the right way, like this is your manuscript, this is what you do, this is what you know, um, and and you can you can stand by that. So don't be shy about that at all. Um, so I, I didn't really have many changes I wanted to make to this. Like aside from wanting to know the main character's first name, I thought that maybe would help us feel like we knew her a little bit better right off the bat. Um, I was very satisfied with the details that we learn. We learn uh, this woman is traveling with her son and her ailing father. Either she's widowed or her husband left her or he is otherwise unable to be there, which is unusual for the time. Um, So we know that's going to be a point of some contention or conflict, or we're going to learn about that eventually. We also learn about this reverend who's using his position to abuse and take advantage of the people around him. Maybe just women, but most likely other people too. Um, so I think he's going to be very easy to hate very quickly. I already don't like him. Yeah. I Um, hate him too. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't like is not strong enough. Let's say hate. Let's just, yeah. you know, be honest <laughs> about this. Let's just do that. <laughs> and then we have a group of men who won't talk to her, speaking to the awkwardness of the time. Um, they're either mm-hmm. there to help or they're just along for the ride. Maybe they also need to go to Fort Edmonton for whatever reason. Um, and then this woman and her ailing father are transporting tools for a blacksmithing business. So either one or both of them are familiar enough with that trade to offer it as work. I'm not sure which one it is. It would be very unusual for it to be the woman, but if it is Mm -hmm. the woman, I'm very excited about learning more about that. Um, so that's, that's a lot to get in a short amount of time, but it was easy to digest. It was easy to follow. It wasn't overwhelming. It didn't feel like an info dump. Mm -hmm. Um, And for my part, I think that her son's name and whether or not she's widowed and all that, like, I'm wondering about that and I'm trying to keep guessing about it, but I I don't feel like I needed it immediately. I could wait a page or for later in the the Mm -hmm. chapter for that without causing issues. As long as it hits, like, in the first chapter. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that it would work. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we should need that. We probably need that information for context to move forward with the story, but maybe not mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. And then if anything was missing, I would say some more visual uh, descriptions of the mm-hmm. road, the area around them, because we know they're in a wagon, but that's about all we know physically of yeah. like just the the, the setting. Um, so that was maybe the only thing that might be with missing, especially weather, because uh, my in-laws live close to Edmonton and spring. <laughs> what is spring at Edmonton? Who knows? Um, so spring since- in Alberta is just even <laughs> summer in Alberta, right? Like it could be, it could be not spring at all, but technically mm-hmm. spring. So some description around like, is it snowy or is it actually feeling like spring or is it something in between? Mm-hmm. Um, we could get some details on that. But overall, I just really love the flow and the pacing of this page. I had a few phrasing and, and suggestions for changing small things, like Maria said. But I feel like this is a really good uh, setup for something potentially historical fiction. That's what I'm guessing that we're diving into mm-hmm. here. Um, and given what I know of that genre and the bits that I have read, I feel like for the approximate time period, the pacing feels good for the typical audience of the genre. So um, the Reverend was just the right dose of creepy and I, I, I didn't need more yet, but I could see him like being more of a problem every page here on after like every yeah. time we see him or every once in a while at least to remind us that like this is not a good guy and it's subtly obvious subtly that's that's like an oxymoron but <laughs> <laughs> it is subtly obvious to those paying attention mm-hmm. to the women let's say to the women it's obvious to anyone else oh well um so that that beat of tension for me it promises future conflict it's it's promised me something is going to go down and that makes me sufficiently anxious and sufficiently interested to keep reading Mm -hmm. yeah nice strong first page for us to kick off season three with thank you very much dear writer prologue landrum south carolina spring 2008 Heavy curtains hushed the gasp from Detective William's lips when he saw him. At the foot of a snaking staircase, below flowery wallpaper and cherry-stained wainscoting, Richard Pruitt lay sprawled, an axe in his skull. Still as a porcelain doll, the girl's head barely cleared the banister. Her nightgown dragged on the floor, leaving bloody streaks on the hardwood. The bangin' woke me, she said, her voice fragile as spun sugar. She was May Pruitt according to dispatch, the victim's daughter. Uniformed officers buzzed around the scene, their careless steps peppering dirt around their already soiled home. Out, Detective Williams commanded. May jumped, and he regretted his sharp tone. 
Uniforms scuttled to the front door like a trail of ants. May's sandy hair drooped around her shoulders in loose curls, brushing her silky hem as she watched them go. Williams crouched down to meet her wide eyes, which sat atop deep purple recesses, unnatural on a girl her age. Her hazel irises searched him for answers he couldn't provide. Not yet. It's okay, sweetie. It wasn't. He cuffed his arm around her shoulders, turning her tiny frame with a gentle nudge away from her father's body. Shards of glass glistened against the wide oak wood floorboards, triangles large and small, a clustered mosaic dyed burgundy by specks of blood spray. He lifted May, sparing her vulnerable toes. So this was a great opening scene. Uh, opening with murder is always a good call, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, descriptions were great. I like the tiny details that contrasted with, with the larger ones, such as like the axe in his head after the details about the wallpaper. Um, pretty grisly way to go. And it really sets the scene. <laughs> and since it's a prologue, I suspect there will be a time jump to the present day life of the detective. Like that's what I'm predicting just from reading the first mm -hmm. page and not knowing anything else about it. Um, I'm not sure how long the prologue is, but I would suggest keeping it kind of close to this length, maybe only a little bit longer. Um, I mean, sort of a preference thing I don't like really long prologues yeah. because then I get invested in that timeline or that story and when we switch to chapter one I'm like well I'm not really interested now <laughs> so that's a bit of a yeah preference there uh, my other suggestion for this writer would be to read some of their work out loud just because some of the sentences um could be rearranged to help with the flow and the ease of reading. Like I had to go back a couple times and be like, wait, how does that fit into the scene so I could get mm -hmm. a good visual? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think reading your work out loud is is kind of an underrated thing to do. A lot of yes. people don't like to do it. It is awkward. Yes. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> Just go there. Uh, but it does help you catch those kind of tongue twister things mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes when you're reading and your brain jumps ahead, maybe not everybody does this, but it's tough in a, in a sentence where it's the flow is off. Yeah. I'm like, wait, I go back and have to read the beginning of the sentence yep. again. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, no, I really, I really did love this. Um, I think my, my main suggestions throughout were just a couple um, word choice suggestions and like some moving around of some sentences and not changing them at all, just sort of, you know, putting them yeah. in a different order. Yeah. But aside from that, I thought this was great. I, I love a good murder mystery. <laughs> you and me both. We are twisted people. I think yeah. I think they know this already. Yeah. <laughs> no, look at our search history, okay? It's bad. Oh, yeah. And, and hopefully hearing me read some of these out loud will help people see the power of that. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I've learned from this, from hearing other people read it work out loud and just audiobook narration studies and all of that is... If the person reading is tripping over a sentence, that's usually a good indicator that it needs to be rewritten, just reformulated somehow to make it flow better. So if you read over your own work and you have a hard time getting it out, um, that's a good that's a good indicator. Like it's usually pretty pretty um, spot on. 
So as for my comments, I honestly, I forgot this was a prologue as soon as I started reading. (laughs) I was just like swept into the scene immediately, (laughs) which I think in order for me to keep an interest in a prologue, that's exactly what needs to happen. So Mm -hmm. um, I loved the opening lines. I loved them so much. And I just had such a vivid visual immediately and an understanding of, okay, I know who the character is. I know what his job is. I know what he's looking at. I know where he is. Um, It was great. Um, and then once I, now that I remembered that I was in a prologue, <laughs> uh, then I get scared that we'll skip ahead to something and I won't be as interested because I want to continue on with the characters I've already met. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, like you said, we do jump ahead to either the te- detective's life or the little girl's life later on, I would also be um, kept on board with either of those perspectives in the first chapter. So, yeah, there's mm-hmm. so much goodness here, um, so much promise for such a cool story. The descriptions, again, are just heartbreakingly beautiful. Like, throughout the whole thing, I could just pick a phrase and read it over and over and be happy. And then Mm -hmm. my heart just squeezes for this little girl. Like, it's broken. It's shattered into a a bunch of pieces. (laughs) What a horrible way to find your parent. Holy Mm -hmm. crap. Um, And I think the the way that she's described as timid and all these different things says a lot about the shock and the toll this has on her. It's maybe not an expected way. Like, why is she so quote-unquote calm um Mm -hmm. someone might critique it that way but for me it was more like she's discovered something that her brain cannot comprehend so she's reacting in the only way that she can and I felt like it was Mm -hmm. done really well and then the detective's behavior also worked so so well for me like the contrast of him being so careful and tender with her and then just like barking at his uh co-workers being like get out stop making a mess leave me alone to do my actual job um so his harshness contrasting with his gentleness was really really good Mm -hmm. and again beyond a couple phrasing or wording suggestions um for clarity and flow like you said i would have moved a couple sentences and put some uh, dialogue pieces together to make them connect a little bit more smoothly beyond that um i love this i would keep the prologue short if possible um that's my personal preference as well. <laughs> um, and I mean, if there has to be one at all is kind of uh, kind of how I approach prologues. But mm-hmm. um, I would want to quickly move into the story and find out further details. But I would want to find out more about this particular crime in kind of brief, brief sub- subtle ways woven into the rest of the story. Um, no big info dumps of explaining how the trial went and all this stuff. Like mm-hmm. um, we can find that out little by little throughout, I think, if that's the way this is going to go. Um, and yeah, that said, when I got to the end of this page, when if there was more, I would I wouldn't be able to stop. So um, you've kept me intrigued as a reader, and that is a job well done. So we said we're here to talk about manuscript prep. We're prepping and polishing a manuscript for publication, whether that's um, traditional publishing or self-publishing. Neither one is better than the other. It's just an option you got to choose. You could do both. Um, But when you're getting that manuscript, like you've got it drafted, maybe your first draft, second draft, maybe you've done a few drafts, some edits. um, And then what does it mean to be ready to press publish or to press send on that query letter to an agent? Um, So just to be clear, we're not talking about outlining or daydreaming or brainstorming or anything that you might do before the first draft if you're... If you're an outliner, like if you want to go back that far, uh, you can go back to season one, episode two for our chat about first drafts. Little plug there. I am shameless. <laughs> um, right now, we're beyond that. We're talking about after all that is done. Um, 
You've got your first or your second or your third draft written. You've come to the terrifying decision that you don't want to just stick it in a drawer and let it collect and entertain the dust mites. Yeah, you want to entertain the world um, because everyone dreams of world domination at some point or other. Your feelings are valid. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know you do. <laughs> you tell me about it regularly. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, your feelings are valid, um, but your manuscript probably isn't quite ready for the world yet. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to the prep and polish to me, that means uh, having your shit together before you hit send mm -hmm. on anything. <laughs> so I've spoken to a few writers lately, especially who are querying and they're like, I haven't got any responses and I don't know why. And it turns out no one's read their pages or their query or their synopsis. And this mm -hmm. is a huge no-no. Mm -hmm. It's just, I mean, you guys have heard me and Elise rant about this in previous episodes. <laughs> it's a no-no. Unfortunately, sharing is caring when it comes to yeah. writing. <laughs> so no matter how good of a writer you are, you need feedback on your work. Um, you know, you don't want your first taste of feedback to be rejection from your dream agent. That's yeah. really, because you might get that anyways, but right. you don't want to start there. It right. will ruin your day Aww. or your week or your month or your entire psyche. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your manuscript should be as polished as you can possibly make it before you query and especially before you self-publish. So this means that you've put it through the ringer, drafted it more than once. Mm -hmm. This is not a place for you to throw around first draft. <laughs> you've edited it more than once. You've gotten feedback more editing, mm -hmm. beta readers, more editing and editing. Yeah. Did I say that? It's in there, right? Um, the other benefit of feedback is finding out what you did wrong, that you have no idea that you did wrong. Mm -hmm. Happens to the best of us. So don't be too hard on yourself. Um, I have totally forgotten a character after the three quarter mark. And Elise is like, Hey, what happened to this character? And I'm like, what a good question. I don't know. <laughs> Nothing happened to him. Um, he lost interest. Whoops. Yeah. Oops. And so that's why you need, that's why you need feedback. Uh, and think of all those authors that you like love and admire and like you pick up their books. You can't wait to read them. Do you think that the, that draft you're holding in your hand, that book you're holding in your hand is the first time anybody's looked at that writing? Mm. Answer is no. Nope. <laughs> all you have to do is read the acknowledgements at the end of any book yeah. and you'll see how many people it took to make that book a reality. Yeah. Even, even a self-published one. Like yes. self-publishing is Especially a misnomer. A exactly. It's a misnomer. Yeah. You don't do it in a vacuum. Writing... Yeah is not the solitary journey we have made it out to be. Mm -hmm. It's a lie. It's so far mm -hmm. from solitary. Mm -hmm. I used to be like, this is going to be great for me. I'm so introverted. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to talk to all that. There's so many more people out there than I was expecting. Oh, man. My heart is just, like, breaking for those authors who, you know, it's hard to share your work. It's hard it to is. put yourself out there and do it. Like, that takes yeah. a lot of courage. You've poured your heart and soul into this, even if it's just a light, happy story. Like, the amount of time mm -hmm. you put into it, you're trying to be do something creative and beautiful whatever yeah. that means to you. And it's yeah. hard to show people that. So when you do, like if, if you take your first draft and you send your query to your agent and you get crickets or you get a rejection, if that's mm -hmm. the first response you get to something that you've shared, like the first ever, oh. ouch, ouch. Oh my God. <laughs> if I had not shared my work with other people and had people say, this is good, this could use work, like giving me a balance mm -hmm. of like, no, you do good work there are some th things that you can fix. Like it's always, yeah. it's always those two things. It's never, um, 
this is all trash. We say that to ourselves. Yeah, we say that to ourselves. That's the imposter That's syndrome. That's not true. Yapping at the back of our head. It's not but true. It's kind of like with sports or like music or anything that you did as a kid or as an adult. Like you don't just roll up to mm-hmm. like, you know, a piano recital and start like whipping out pieces without <laughs> practice and lessons and test audiences. Having like, flashbacks here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I I've been riding horseback riding for those who are new to listening for like 20 24 wow. years wow. uh and I still have lessons like four days a week yeah yeah <laughs> and guess what I still go to horse shows and shit the bed in the room oh go, my goodness Oops. yep because, resonate like, with that yeah that's life we're not you know we're not I, perfect yeah. I've been playing piano for for over a decade. It's been – that makes me sound really old. It's just 10 years, okay? 24 years of um, riding. I'm a woman. Like you're, winning. you're winning. You're um, winning. I took less – I started when I was 12. So most kids start when they're like six, right? And then they're this is little true, geniuses yeah. when they're a teenager. And it always made me really mm-hmm. insecure. But <laughs> I started when I was 12. I still play piano. I play publicly um, on occasion. And I still, like, if, unless I'm playing with other people, I just, I get the shakes. I feel like I'm mm. going to puke. It's horrible. I don't like performing by myself. I will not do it. Um, but I used to do it for for recitals and stuff. And you don't, you don't get away with that with just, like, first draft and done. Unless yeah. you're a piano genius. But those are the exceptions, not the rule. We are yeah, all the, yeah. Just remember, you're most likely the rule. <laughs> And that's not a dig. That's just no, life. Just, that's life. We're the rule too. Like, yeah. When very I look much back the at the stuff I submitted uh, to get into the writer's studio, I'm like, who was that person and who wrote this? Because <laughs> I was looking at mine the other day too. Oh yeah, my word. Pretty horrifying. I would, I, like, I, I want to burn that piece. I was like, how did Eileen choose me off of this? What? I happened? definitely got rid of some of those earlier drafts. I do, we always <laughs> tell people not to do that so you can compare. But I was like, you know what? I have compared. I've looked no at one compared. Needs to see this and I've again. decided no one needs to see that. Yeah. <laughs> it's been deleted. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Today is a day of tangents. Yes. Um, okay. Now that we've sufficiently bled our hearts for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're an outliner or a pantser or something in between, the point is that once you have that messy first, second, or third draft, no one else has seen it, it's not time to press send on anything unless it's to your writing group or your beta reader or someone who's going to give you feedback. And I wanted to say, too, like, it always sounds like, oh, I need to find a writing group. And that sounds so daunting. And, like, how do you find one? And will they let me in? And how many pages do they actually have time to do for free? Like, all these things. If that's just too much to ask, you can find a writing partner, a critique partner. That's essentially what Maria and I do for each other. Like, yeah. we're always in each other's manuscripts all the time, whether it's brainstorming or editing on the other end. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to have this whole host of people right off the bat, mm-hmm. even having just one person read and give critical feedback. Someone you trust to be honest. So they'll mm-hmm. be nice, but they'll also be honest. Yeah, okay? you want the honest. You don't want to be like, you don't want anyone to be like, this is great. Like when you want that, you show it to your parents. Yeah. You know? Yeah, or or whoever. Or like your spouse when they go, oh yeah, like great job, sweetie. Because <laughs> they don't want to hurt you. And then they feelings. go like put some bleach in their eyes because they're like, that was cut awful. <laughs> so mean today oh man we just got to get that energy out there somehow um yeah someone who's who's kind but also gonna like call you out on things that hey this doesn't make sense maybe consider here's some ideas um yeah even that goes such a long way in tightening something up and and making it more of a joy to read for for anyone else just coming in so 
I've got some steps for you. I've got a checklist. Are you surprised? You better not be. This is just how I we work. Checklists. Uh, <laughs> so before you hit hit send on that query letter, before you press publish on Kindle Direct, uh, stop, drop, and take a deep breath and just lie on the floor like that. Yep, for a second. Just like that. Just flat. You're a corpse. Don't even think about it. <laughs> so Maria's going to add things to this a little bit later. Flesh it out. We're going to be okay. If that was a meditation, let me know. I might have a new career path here. But step one, <laughs> did you let it breathe? Did you let your manuscript breathe? I know you took the time to lie on your back and breathe because I told you so, and I am an all-knowing being. But did you let the manuscript breathe? Because that's the next step. Like any good chef, this is going to be weird. Like any good chef, you've got to let your manuscript rest after you pull it off the heat. Like you've just been going, whether it's been a marathon or a sprint or whatever, to get that last bit done. You've been going hard. And... um there's steam coming out of your ears from how hard you've been working. And we need to let that cool off because you're not going to make any good decisions in that state. I know I don't. So stop. Don't look at it. And don't fix anything. Like that's a rule I try to keep in place if I can avoid it. I don't I don't dive straight into fixing or changing or otherwise altering anything because I'm not – I don't have the full picture yet. Okay. So take that step back. It's for your manuscript baby, your child. It's also for your mental health. Uh, Got to be good to ourselves. Step two, do you have an outline? And remember, take deep breaths to this whole thing because we're talking about like after your first draft. I'm not trying to turn you into an outliner. I promise. If you're in a pantser, just, you know, keep breathing in deep. Like just do like four in, four out, and, you know, keep going. Do you have a big picture story idea? Do you know what your story is about from start to finish? Do you have a good handle on it in your head? Or are you getting lost of where was that scene? And did the character say this in that scene? Like... It's hard to remember all that until you've like been through the manuscript so many times that you're sick of it and puking it in your spare time. Um, so what I do once I've had a first draft written out because I don't outline is I go back and I write down, okay, what happened in chapter one? Just two sentences, really quick. I just need how did it start? How did it end? And I do that for every single chapter. And then I zoom out and look at the whole thing and be like, okay, where's my character starting and where do they end? Does that line up? Where does my scene start? Where does my book end does that line up like does the the main plot point even follow through to the end <laughs> who knows um so this is how i outline and if you're not an outliner this might work for you i have i know someone who's going to try it out because they hadn't considered this idea before so i'm waiting to hear if it worked for them i'm gonna try it. um excellent I, <laughs> I just did this for for one of my latest books and it was like so i don't know it, it made me feel so relieved like to see the whole thing just lined up it was like oh I do have a common plot point from start to end. Oh, I did do that for that character. I'm smarter than I thought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not a pile of trash. Get a good big picture idea of what your story is like. And once you have that, once you have this map, tracking your character animations, your arcs, your subplots, your Easter eggs, and your foreshadowing, all those little things, it's, it's going to be so much easier for you. And then... I feel like I should walk people through another deep breath in, deep breath out, because this is the worst part. Step three, pull it apart. Drawn and quartered. That is <laughs> that is exactly as gruesome as it sounds and as it should sound, because I'm talking about editing. Um, and when you're in that first draft stage, it's going to be a big job. Even if like you have the main story and everything, and it's all pretty good lined up, editing is still going to be a big job. You're probably aware of some plot holes already, things that didn't make sense when you were writing it, but you just kind of blew on by those because you wanted to finish and that's good that's the advice that we tell everybody 
So if you're going to start fixing anything, I would start with those, with the big things that is like, okay, I know I need to fix that. I have, I've been brainstorming some ideas, go in and fix a couple of them. Um, I like to make a list of edits as I'm going, as I think of them so that I'm not going to fix things, but I'm writing down so that I don't forget to fix them later. And then it tricks my brain into thinking, okay, we dealt with that and we can move on and then I can write again. Um, so then I go back to this list and I start fixing those big things. And then here's where you could skip to getting some feedback. Um, or if you're like me, um, do a bunch of those edits before you let anyone see it. Like it depends on your comfort level at this point. Um, but either way, after either of those things, um, this is when you start sharing your work with other people. And just be careful not to dive into copy edits and get distracted with those little things because we're still in big, big picture mode right here. And the first feedback that you get, some people are going to focus on copy edits and be like that. Um, some people are like me and they get distracted by those things really early on. <laughs> but for the most part, um, you'll be able to avoid those. Just stay stay away from the, the typos, the punctuation, and the grammar. Don't touch it. Don't fix it. You might cut the whole sentence later. Uh, plot holes, missing chapters. Um, Character holes. That sounds really bad. Don't say it that way. Um, <laughs> holes in your character's motivation. <laughs> Big fixes. <laughs> Consider fixing that first, but you get the gist. And then we officially get to step four. It's feedback time because uh, I guarantee that you're not done yet. So, Maria, take it away. <laughs> yeah. So once you've written your draft or multiple drafts, whatever draft finally feels ready for some feedback and you've done an editing pass and all the big picture stuff, then it is time for feedback, which I feel like we're kind of harping on this episode. But I just, having noticed that so many people don't get feedback, I'm like, okay, we got to talk about this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you've ever tried on an outfit and asked your spouse, your friend, what they think, you can relate because that's pretty much what you're doing with your book. Because hmm. you don't want to walk out the door in socks and sandals. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Literally Unless you do. <laughs> I literally stopped my father-in-law when he was going on a date one night because he was wearing socks and sandals. I was like, you can't go out like that. He was like, why? I was like, because it will be the last date. <laughs> like the first and the last date. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I got a little sidetracked. I'm really, really excited about season three right now. And we I can't are. seem to stay on task. Uh, anyway, so uh, Elise was talking about workshop groups and critique partners and stuff like that. And that is something you should look into, even if you're not done your draft, start putting feelers out and see if you can find someone that you get along with that you can have as a critique partner. Mm -hmm. I think that like we have our writing group, but I would say we probably get the most benefit just from sending each other stuff because we trust yeah. each other. Especially we know drafts. how each other works. Yeah. And like yeah. our brainstorming has helped. Oh my god! I mean, if I didn't brainstorm with Elise, I would never write anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, kind of rely on her a little bit. Um, there's also a huge writing community on Twitter. If you're not on there, it's, uh, I mean, Twitter's kind of toxic, but hey, the writing community is nicer than the other one. So <laughs> give, that a, give that a shot. There's always people looking to exchange manuscripts or just chapters mm -hmm. or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, my word of advice is to offer to swap a few chapters with someone first rather than diving right in and doing a whole manuscript swap. This is for a few reasons. You want to know that they're going to be valuable feedback. Mm -hmm. um, and oh, it yeah. gives you a chance to flex your workshopping muscles too, because if you're going to swap with someone, you need to make sure you can give them some quality feedback too. So it's fair exchange. Uh, a lot of us are doing this for free. So, yep. you know, it's important to make it fair. 
Um, and you want to read something that you'll at least kind of enjoy. <laughs> Nothing like agreeing to a beta read and then you open it and you're like, this is not my jam at uh, all. Oh. <laughs> and then you've committed to doing it. So <laughs> yeah, you kind of want to stick with something that you'd actually like to read as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And I would also recommend writing your query and synopsis and having those workshopped. Um, yeah, like I said, so easy to be consumed by your own yeah. writing and your own project that you can't see the forest for the trees or whatever that saying yeah. is. So sometimes you'll you sit down it. and write your synopsis and you'll be like, whoa, there's a big plot hole. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Maybe I'm not ready to send this out yet. Because <laughs> guess who's done that? Also big me. <laughs> picture power. Big, yeah. That's where that outline so, comes in. Back to feedback. Uh, Mm. So positives of receiving feedback. You'll see what works and doesn't work for your reader. Um, They'll highlight spots where your character does something that doesn't make sense for their character, for their personality. Scenes that need expanding. That's a pretty common one that I see when I workshop. Um, Info dumping that needs to be tidied up because everybody knows how I feel about the info dumping. (laughs) And forgotten plot threads. Like I said, when I forgot the I'm character. Full of those. I am way through. full of those. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, and then for your negatives, the kind of the downsides of it, mm. not everyone's going to be your ideal reader. So you also don't have to take everyone's feedback, like right. Elise said earlier. So right. take what's useful, discard the rest type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's impossible to make everyone happy. <laughs> I say <laughs> as a reformed people pleaser, Are you I understand that this that semi-reformed still struggle. I was going to say, if you are, teach me your ways. How did you get there? I'm learning. I learned how to say no. Oh, what? <laughs> that was helpful. No is a good one. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> even, even people who are not your ideal reader uh, will still point things out that you may have missed. You yeah. know? So it's good. Yeah. You just need that feedback. Um, the downside to sourcing feedback through Twitter, people that you don't know personally know, is you'll get people who... <laughs> Won't bother to do your pages, but you did theirs. That always sucks. Mm. You will. This is a, this one you won't expect because you're like, I suck. Ah, at least this is me. <laughs> You'll get someone who is maybe a bit jealous of your writing. This mm. maybe doesn't happen a lot, but this does happen. Mm. Um, or someone who's very inexperienced at giving either feedback or at writing, and they don't really give you anything of note. Um, I wish everybody was nice and helpful, but that's not the case. (laughs) So keep in mind, this is hard work, uh, but it shouldn't be an awful experience. Feedback should not be, Yeah, it shouldn't be hell. Okay. No. no. Editing is, but the feedback part shouldn't be that bad. (laughs) If someone is making you feel like crap about your work, uh, it's okay to discard their feedback and not use them again. Just be sure it's not you feeling emotionally defensive um, because it is hard when someone's like, I don't get why character A would treat character B like this. And Mm -hmm. in your head, you're like, well, it's obviously because of the intense backstory I talked about in chapter two. (laughs) Like the readers don't know your characters like you do. So when they say something isn't clear, take a step back and really consider it. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so good. Such a good word. Oh, man. It's a lot of work. It is (laughs) a lot of work. Grief. (laughs) Why do we do this? Um, Yeah, it's, it's so much work. And that may be exactly what you're thinking right now. Like, do I really have to do all of all of that? Like, 
I can hear can the little... Can I just little, like publish and people I can, will be I like, can, you're a genius when the Nobel Prize. <laughs> Aren't I the exception to the rule? Come on. Yes. yes. Um, I can hear that. I hear that and I resonate with you and your feelings are valid. Okay. They're my mm-hmm. feelings too. But some days it just sucks and it is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's 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 not such a shiny new adventure after a certain point. It's mm-hmm. I think that's the difference between maybe writing as a hobby and writing as this like deep thing that you just want to do so bad um if you're writing as a hobby it's it might be easier to just do it for fun and then you can you could you could decide i just do this for fun so i'm just gonna do the fun parts i like drafting i'll do that i like brainstorming and world building but i don't love drafting so i'll just do the first part and i won't do the rest because i'm not trying to you know get this out into the big wide world for this big adventure maybe that's not your thing um so just do what's fun and don't worry about the rest go to town but if it's something that you like, you you want to you want to take it somewhere. You want to share it with the world in a certain way. Um, maybe that's you want to be heard. You want to develop a following or whatever your publishing goals are. That that all takes a lot of work. It's because it's about respecting the people that you're talking to. Like no one owes you a read. No one owes mm. you to like your work. Um, yeah. They, there's no reason why they should listen to your unfiltered, un- unedited, unpolished thoughts. Like they don't need to pay you to do that. They've got Twitter. When someone yeah. picks up a book or a story, they're asking to be, they're asking for something. They want to be transported or transformed or just otherwise engaged, whether it's for escapism or something else. And they, yeah, I would just want to hammer this home. They don't owe us anything. No one owes me the decency of reading my work. Like, even if I put it on the internet, the market mm-hmm. is so saturated in all shapes and forms because of our digital age that, like, no one owes me that time. There's too many mm-hmm. things to read as it is. They have to. They they have no reason to want to read me in particular, because there's so much out there. So if I'm promising them something fun and exciting, I need to make sure I'm delivering on that 100% to the best of my abilities. I owe my readers that integrity and respect, the doing everything in my power to make the experience as satisfying as possible. And the only way to do that is to put in the work, all of the work. To the very last detail. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen a lot of writers on social media complain um, when their reviewers are honest about the poor editing in their book. Mm. And I've seen a few and like, this is just bad taste people. Like Uh they're complaining on social media to their followers who probably buy their books that they're so busy and they do this all themselves. And why can't the readers just be nicer? Like, because your readers paid for a product, Mm -hmm. they want the product to be as fault free as possible. Mm -hmm. Like, do you say, oh, it's totally okay that the custom sign for my house has my name spelled wrong and it's fluorescent orange instead of black. Like, they were busy. (laughs) No. (laughs) You paid money for a product. You'd like to get what you paid for. Okay. And, you know, it's it's people's hard earned money Mm -hmm. too. Like, no one owes you reading your work. No one owes you that buying your book except right. for your parents better buy your book for yourself <laughs> that is their <laughs> blood relative obligation um <laughs> but the thing that drives me crazy about this is why are you complaining about something that's in your power to fix hmm. if I pick up a novel self-published or traditionally published it doesn't matter if there are obvious spelling mistakes I'm gonna wonder what else they missed hmm. if they can't do spell check mm-hmm. what else did they not do mm-hmm. You know, I get annoyed if I see a sentence drop off, totally unfinished, in a published book. (laughs) Pages and pages of info dumping. Everyone, again, knows how I feel about that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you can't catch every error. Like Elise said, has said many times on our show, that you can only catch like 99% of 
95. Yeah, don't tell them we can do 99 because that's too much. That's I don't want to be held to that step. Keep that in mind, people. Um, but yeah, not every error will be caught. But and I and I have found errors in books put out by like big publishing houses, yeah. like a little spelling mistake here, the wrong apostrophe, and like a your, <laughs> you know what I mean? But you should do your best. Yeah. And that's the other upside to getting feedback. Mm-hmm. It gives you a place to start with your editing. Yeah. Which leads me to, if it's in your power and it's in your budget, mm-hmm. strongly suggest hiring an editor. Mm-hmm. You don't need to pay for a big developmental edit, but having someone go through and clean up all your spelling and your grammar will go a long way in making your final product look polished. Yeah. And I do recommend doing this even if you aren't going to self-publish. Mm-hmm. Um, you want it to be as good as it can be before you submit to agents because it shows you take pride in your work as you should mm-hmm. yep and that's that's another thing that is it's kind of like finding a writing group how do you find an editor mm-hmm. how do I do this do I just give it to my friend who says they know grammar and punctuation really well and hope for the best don't ever do that um, my friend will be like hit spell check be like hey give me 200 bucks. I ran it through Grammarly <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because I don't have time to do that there's a reason why we pay editors for the work that they yes. do and it's because, like, they have to read through every single line of your book, sometimes two or three times, maybe more. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of time. Yeah. Just the sheer time it takes to sit there and stare at the words. Um, but there's there's places you can go. And if you're strapped for cash but you still want to, you know, check it out to see what kind of budget you need or to see if you can fit something in it, you can get, you can get some low-budget stuff from places, which is, mm-hmm. you know, hard on the editors who are – trying to charge a living wage but you know there's (laughs) options out there so where do I find an editor when I don't have an agent or a publisher or I'm trying to self-publish how do I know they're going to be good Um, make sure you're going to a reputable source or that the person that's referred to you is like you trust the person who's doing the referral and Mm -hmm. you can kind of see that okay this person that's been referred to me has kind of a rap sheet or at least some kind of portfolio website something they can point to to say like I know what I'm doing and I will make your product better than I found it when I got it, right? That's what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, the Creative Academy, which we've talked about before, is a free online resource. Uh, it's a community of like-minded people. There's a lot of writers and ver- a variety of people on there. There's some editors. That's a place you can go to check out. Um, Reddit has some subreddits for writers and editors where they might have some resources for you. Um, I am an editor. So if you know my name, you can look up my website and see what kind of stuff I do, see if we'd be a good fit. I do offer a free sample edit for the first chapter up to a certain number of words, just so that you can see, like, what kind of feedback do I actually offer? Is this something that's going to work for me? Are you getting my story? Are you getting my writing? Or are you correcting things that I think are just my style and and I don't like it? So that's a free sample edit, no strings attached. A lot of editors will do that. Some won't. It's all depending on the contract that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Yeah, uh, that's a little plug for myself, but <laughs> it'll give you an idea, even if you just want to check out my editing page, the services that I offer, and what kinds of options are out there for you. Um, I follow a few different people on social media who I've gotten to know through the editing courses and workshops I've done, and I can throw their their links into the description of this episode as well, mm-hmm. just in case you want to check out and compare a few different people. There's some lovely people to work with out there. Um, and then websites like Readsy is a really 
has a really good reputation for good editors. Um, Reezy takes a cut of the fee, so it might be a little bit higher than you expect, um, but guaranteed your editing bill is going to be higher than you expect because most people underestimate how much work and time yeah. and money it's going to cost. Um, yeah. But Reedsy, R-E-E-D-S-Y, we'll put the link in the description for that as well. It's a good resource. Mm -hmm. And then there's always uh, freelancer sites like Upwork. Um, I think there's one even called Freelancer. Be careful with those because everyone's bidding on work. So it becomes who oh. can offer the lowest rate for the least amount of time put into the job, which means it's the least amount of effort. Like you're paying for a quick job. That's what you're paying for on those sites. And it's mm -hmm. harder to vet. Is this actually good quality or do they just do it really fast? People mm -hmm. like that they're fast. So be careful with those ones. Um, but that, yeah, we'll put all the links in the description. There's lots of places to go to find editors. And mm -hmm. I've started a, a list on our Twitter that's for editors. You can check some of those out. A lot of them are like, they're editors for big publishing houses and you can't solicit them without an agent. <laughs> but um, I do follow some other editors on Twitter and um, social media can be a great place to just connect and say like, hey, what kind of stuff do you do? And Mm -hmm. It's probably on their website. Check their website before you ask them that because that could be a yeah, point of contention. Just like with agents, <laughs> check their manuscript wish list. Um, but it's a good way to just kind of like connect and and see what they're like and see if like, yeah, this person has some similar values and I think that my work would be in good hands. Like that's a mm -hmm. valid approach to picking an editor. Absolutely. I think that's the most important one. And you can definitely find editors, like you said, on Twitter, but there's also quite a few on Instagram, like Bookstagram in particular. There's lots of people that are mm -hmm. providing editing services. I think the other thing to keep in mind is anybody can say that they are an editor. Yes. So yes. be careful. Just like I said, if you're swapping pages with someone that you met on the internet, I mean, half of us, half of our friends now are like on the internet, you know, like all our books are great people yeah. and I would totally send them pages, but uh, yeah, just use caution. Um, mm -hmm. You could pay for something that just totally sucks. Yeah. So it's good to have a referral or check the reviews or have them do some sample pages. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to ask when you're going to be spending some money. Cause I know, yeah. um, it's not cheap, but the thing is, I, mean, I hate to sound like my dad. <laughs> Nothing in life is cheap. <laughs> Nothing is free. Uh, there you go. A little, little wisdom for you guys. Uh, as we all, we already all know that. But I just think it's something to keep in mind that if you are going to pursue publishing or pursue querying, mm -hmm. this is possibly an investment you're just going to have to mm -hmm. make in yourself. Maybe you can't afford an editor yet. Maybe you got to wait three months to get an editor. That's okay. We're all working at our own pace with this, yeah. but definitely, yeah, whatever you can do and, and you have to decide if, if you want to invest in yourself for that. Mm -hmm. Some people are really good at editing their own work. Maybe they don't, maybe they're the exception to the rule, <laughs> <laughs> but I know that I'm not. So I pay for editing. I know where my strengths are and that is not one of them. <laughs> and that's important to know. Yeah. I can't self-edit my stuff super, super well. I will miss that same comma a hundred times and at least it'll be like, delete. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, and the best part is as an editor, I'm the same way. Like I can't, mm -hmm. I can't do it for myself. Um, yeah. I have, and that was a mistake. I wish I would have put more effort into some of my projects, um, but I just, what, whatever my excuse was, I didn't have the time, I didn't have the money. Often it's money because I know editing is expensive and I want to mm -hmm. be able to pay someone a fair rate. I know what the rates are because I charge them. I've yeah. gone to school for this and they've told me this is how much you should charge. And I'm like, oh, I'm getting ripped off on this end because I charge way too low still. Yeah. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, wanting to charge them a rate, it, it, it could be really hard. And maybe you're not in a place where you can do that. But even if you're just putting in like just the best work that you possibly can, um, just have that decency and dignity for yourself. Have that, leave that dignity with other readers and do what you can to the best of your abilities. And it's going to be okay. And that's the tea on prepping and polishing your manuscript. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at the Tea Grannies Podcast and on Twitter at the Tea Grannies to stay up to date on episodes, book reviews, and more. See you next time for our episode on query letters. Happy writing.